Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Nearly one-third of all American adults have high blood pressure, and more than half of them don't have it under control. Simply seeing a doctor and taking medications isn't enough for many people who have high blood pressure. A team-based approach by patients, healthcare systems, and healthcare providers is one of the best ways to treat uncontrolled high blood pressure. Patients can improve control by measuring and recording their own blood pressure between office visits and by taking medications as prescribed. Healthcare systems can use electronic health records and patient registries to find and follow up with patients and automatically notify doctors about patients who have high blood pressure readings. Healthcare providers can see patients with high blood pressure more often until control is achieved. To learn more about the ways we can all work together to achieve blood pressure control, visit www.cdc.gov slash vital signs. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Check it out. You can email me even. Email me, SaturdaysWithJoyKeys at Hotmail.com. And if you've missed the show, all the shows are archived. You can listen to them here at Blog Talk Radio, or you can listen on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, iTunes. We're all over the place. So enjoy and share with friends and family. And for those of you who have been supporting me since the beginning, thank you so much, and I really appreciate it, and I hope that you've been able to enjoy and share with friends and family. This morning, wow, I got so much to talk to about, to talk to this guy about. I mean, the 30 minutes really isn't going to be enough. I'm probably going to have to have him back on. Um, he's a wonderful writer. He's appeared in The New Yorker, Oprah Magazine. Um, he's, this is his first novel, um, uh, his second book, but his first novel, and it's called New York, My Village. I think this is him uh, on the line. Let's see here. Good morning. Is this Uwem? Yes, this is Uwem, my friend. <laughs> How are you? I'm so happy to be talking to you finally. <laughs> are you serious? I'm happy to talk to you too. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. That's great. You sound really awake. Now, where are you? Are you in America now? Or are you overseas? Where are you? I'm Gainesville, Florida. Okay, so you're here in America. Um, yes. But uh, let's talk. Let's talk about um, where are you from? Because um, you are a minority of minorities, so to speak. So where are you from? Tell yes. the audience. Yes, I am an Anang man in southern Nigeria. Uh, my state is called today the state of Akwaibom. 
in southern Nigeria. Um, my people used to be, were in Biafra, uh, basically mm-hmm. against their will. Um, so there are three big ethnic groups in Nigeria, the Igbos, the Yorubas, the Hausas. Uh, and then you have uh, like a 247 uh, minority groups, or you have 499 minority groups. Nobody really knows the exact number. (laughs) (laughs) You know... It's so funny because uh, in the book you you have a funny story about that, and and one of the stories is the character has to prove that he's part of his tribe. Like, does it really exist? That is so crazy. I can't imagine going up to some window and somebody asking me, are you really black? But let me tell you, Uwem, here in America we have what they call colorism. Um, Yes. And – People are treated different, you know, based on their color. And I'm sure it happens in Africa, South America, uh, India, China, all over. But, you know, here, when you're light-skinned, people assume you must be mixed. So they're like, what are you? Like, one of your parents is white? Are you Indian? Yes. What, what, what? (laughs) You, You can't be all black. And I'm like, no, both my parents are black. They're both black, and my grandparents are both black. And, like, you know, you have to, like, try to make them believe that you're really black, even though you yes. know you are, but they they try to make you believe, you know. Like, um, I remember one time somebody told me, oh, I somebody said you were from England. Who told you that? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, gosh. So I feel your pain. My, I feel right. some of your pain. I feel some of your pain. So now, why are you writing a novel instead of short stories? Because your first book, Say You're One of Them, um, made the best of the year list at People Magazine, Wall Street Journal, and many other places. New York Times made that first book a New York Times editor's choice. Why now a whole novel instead of short stories? I... I had so many things I wanted to talk about. Uh, I did not think I could accomplish this with a short story or a collection of short stories. So I decided to go for for a novel. Um, if you remember correctly, uh, my stories were always long. And even in that collection, I had two novellas that were at 120 pages you know, each. So this mm-hmm. was the time for me to, you know, to go for uh, for a novel, to see how much of what I had in my <laughs> to-do list, as it were, I could bring, you know, into the flow of the novel. So, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about the Biafran War. I wanted to talk about, you know, what it means to be a minority of minorities. I wanted to talk about immigration. I wanted to talk about, yes, the immigrant story. I wanted to talk about racism in America, in publishing, in the church, in the neighborhood, 
Um, so you had a lot to talk was... about. Yeah, oh, um, you had a, you had a lot to talk about, and you know what? It came out beautifully in the book. And I I wondered um, because in the book your main character is a writer, and you know he's going to work for um, a publishing place, and he has to read other novels. I wondered what kind of notes did you get from your editor from the publishing company for this book? What kind of notes did you get? I what kind of notes? How, how do you mean? I'm, I don't understand like, the question. Well, like when they when you sent in the manuscript and they called you and said we're interested, but we need this to change or we want you to add this. What did uh, what were those uh, things? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Um, oh, joy. Uh, it's a whole long story of... <laughs> it, <laughs> it was very difficult because it was rejected many, many times. Really? Um, okay. Yes. Okay. It was rejected many, many times. But the editor who accepted it, accepted it within 24 hours. Um, mm. So that you know that that's a miracle to have the you know she read the first uh, seventy pages. Ellen Mason of uh, Norton read the first seventy pages. You know said to me when we want this novel, we want this novel. Can we get this novel from you? I was so shocked because I expected it to take two months before she would you know make a comment. So. Mm-hmm. Going back to your question, that was the note I got. We want this novel. This is so. This is so. This is so wonderful. We like the voice. We like the themes. We this is so out of the left field, but it works. <laughs> yes, that's, that's great. You know, she she knew right away. You know, it's like when you taste food, you know right away. Yeah. Once you taste it, it's like I like. I don't like. I'm never going to eat that thing again. Or uh, I'm never going to eat that thing again. Or I wish I could have it every day of my life. You know, um, yeah. so she knew right away that she wanted your book. Now let me skip back a little bit because I should really be saying Father Uwim Akban, correct? Because you are an ordained Jesuit priest, correct? No, I left the priesthood. I left the priesthood six right. years ago. You left. You left, but you yes. were in the past, yes. Yes, I was. So my question is, what made you leave? What was the moment? What was the catalyst that made you leave the, the, the order? To write, to write. I was struggling a lot. It was more than having many lives in one. <clears throat> and I, I knew if I could let go of one, you know, the priesthood or writing, I'd be able to, you know, to write. And I thought what needed to go was the priesthood. So I I got out of it. So now, how do you know you were a good writer? How did you know that it was going to be successful? What what gave you the, the belief, By the strength time, to say, okay, I'm good at this? You know, it's basically faith, one. Two, by this time I had written my first book. 
Um, so I had something to cling on, but I did not know at this point that a novel would come together. So it was mm-hmm. basically, you know, uh, a, a leap of faith. I jumped, I know, a leap into the, into the dark, as it were. And this novel has yes. taken me 13 years to write. Um, in actual, if I'm looking at actual writing time, when this particular story or book began, it began as a short story. So if you were asking me about short stories, you know, just a moment ago, this book began as a short story in 2014. Um, mm. And I just kept expanding and expanding and braiding things together until I got, you know, a substantial uh, number of my issues dramatized, uh, staged, um, <laughs> it, it was a long, a long, painful process. Yes, but you know it was worth it. And um, one of the things, well, I'm, again, you have so many issues that you do talk about in the book. But one of the things you talk about um, is the character uh, has to work in the white space, and when he goes to his first day at the publishing, and he realizes uh-huh. he's the only one. He's the only one. Now, you are also a writer. Have you been in white, white spaces where you were the only one? And what did that feel like for you? Was it the same as the character? Um, the strangeness, at least of that first day, was the same. Um, yes, I've been in many white spaces. I've been to some, you know, churches in this country to minister as a priest and I was the only black person the other the rest of the congregation was white um, mm. just plain white um, you know but they by the end of the day they accepted, accepted me very well but just walking in there and seeing how white it was so <clears throat> I knew, but by the time, you know, mass began, uh, and they saw that uh, I knew what I was doing, um, and then I became their beloved priest and, uh, you know, all of that. I've been in many classes in this country where I was the only, the only black person. Um, mm-hmm. But talking directly about publishing, so my first book, I started visiting the big publishing houses of uh, America. And I, whenever I walked in, you know, I was always shocked how white mm-hmm. it was. Mm. Uh, the, the more shocking thing was running into minorities, the fellow black people, uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. and they looked at you equally shocked that you were there. Uh, (laughs) In fact, sometimes it was as if they wanted to flee from you, as if you were not permitted to exist together in this world. Um, Yeah, you know, Uwem, it's 
it's very it's very difficult because of the competition. You know, people are yes. thinking, you know, I'm here, so uh, I got this spot, you know, for the black person. Here comes this African, like, who does he think he is? I, I, I got the spot already. <laughs> you can't be here, yeah. you know, because if you are yes. here, then it's going to take, take something from me by you being here, you know. It, it, it's going to uh, take maybe some jobs or, or things away from me, um, and, yeah. and that is a perception. It, it may not be the reality, but that is the perception. Yeah. And your discussion about you being the priest in the all-white churches, you know, as the priest, if you think about it, you're in a position of power. You're in a yes. position of somebody, they already know you have a certain amount of knowledge. But if a random black person, such as your character even, in the one scene where he's not dressed in African garb and they think he's African-American, yes. the perception yes. of those white people will be different, you know? So as a priest, even though you're African, yes. you have power. You had power there, yes. you know? Yes. I know, but I'm still telling you it was weird because you <laughs> yeah, look at the, <laughs> you look at the faces of some of the people at first and the shock that you would be ministering to them. So you could mm-hmm. see also that it took them a bit of time, you know. Uh, and then you go to minister to the people, white people who are dying, and their relatives tell you as you're in the hallway, please don't be offended. Our dying father or mother is not very used to black people. You know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're about Mm -hmm. to die. They're about to die and you need, they need the the anointment. Um, So so I've been in all kinds of strange situations. So it wasn't difficult for me to you know, to deal, you know, to deal with this, come up with, you know, a church scene that was complicated, that was full of racism and tense and um, and all of that. I loved your character, Keith, uh, the black American character in your book. And he was kind of like the representative of like all the black people, I think in America to some degree, but, um, and your relationship, uh, the the character's relationship with him. Did you have a Keith in real life with you? Were there Keiths that you bumped into that you had friction with um, and then maybe became friends or it was back and forth? Do you have Keiths now in your life? Um. I am friends with some African American uh folks. Um I think I've had someone who was um not a friend before and now is a friend. Uh mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. times it didn't work out, I got away from that very quickly. Um okay. yeah. But I when I came to this country the first time, nineteen ninety three. I was a student at the at Creighton University, and there was this amiable, lovely black guy. We always met at the same time on campus. I think he he would be finishing. He was finishing his class at that time. I was going towards my class at that time. We always and he would always say to me, "What's up?" 
and I'll play mm-hmm. to him WhatsApp. That's how we greeted each other in the you know in the mid morning. You know. <clears throat> so one day after like a month, I felt I should step forward and uh, shake hands with him. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Almost telling me about my African accent. Um, mm. Yeah, he wouldn't shake hands with me. I, it really, it, it bothered me. I never greeted him anymore. Uh, yeah, I don't that, know was, why that was very saying, hurtful. Yeah, I don't know why I would be saying what's up, what's up to to someone for, for a month or two and I can't or couldn't shake hands with, you know, with him. But, you know, so I knew immediately that there was something you know, wrong. Uh, but I was also part of the African, uh, uh, the Black Students Association on campus. And okay. so many of them received me very warmly. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I've been in a situation that has allowed me to experience things, to notice things, to observe things, uh, and to have that feeling that allows me to create characters that will do that will do my bidding. So yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well no one particular... of the characters. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I I love the women in the book. You don't have many, but the best one is the little girl Ujai. I love yes. her. I I thought that was great. <laughs> She was she was very confident. She was very assertive. She was knowledgeable. Yes. And you know, women and young girls sometimes don't see themselves in the book. It's always the boy character yes. who's smart, who's assertive, who knows everything, and the the, the women yes. character is a little behind. So Ujai was an awesome character. And just her young, youthful voice was great. Who in your life, what women in your life impacted you? Who was the greatest impact uh, as, in terms of women in your life? It would have to be my mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It would have to be my mom. Yeah, um, actually my editor, Ellen Mason, who has really, really helped me write this book. That, that was one of, the, one of the characters that quickly caught pay attention, you know, when okay. the relationship comes, and this girl is superb. It brings a lot to the work because it's so innocent and just seeing how the dias- people born here in, you know, in the diaspora, Africans, uh, Africans born here in the diaspora, how much they long for home, uh, mm-hmm. how much what their parents have been telling them has shaped that longing for a home they have never visited. Um, yeah, yeah. And how much she loves Ekong. Uh, I've always tried to, each time I write about children, uh, you know, work hard to, to, you know, for lack of a better term, work hard to make their characters, you know, work. Um, so, mm-hmm. This book, it was very clear also in my mind that uh, 
I wanted to create this girl character uh, that was, you know, like, you know, Ujai. Ujai means yeah, yeah. beauty in my language. It means beauty. Um, okay. So, yeah, when I created her first, I I had I gave her another name, which was Itido, uh, which means good you know, good character. There are also people being named that way. But finally, I decided to go with, uh, you know, with Ojai. So, um, I have my niece. Uh, I have one niece. She's like Ojai? Yeah, she's like Ojai. She would not let me have peace. Uh, She's (laughs) always, let's play, let's play, let's play. Uncle, I never see you. You're always in America. You're in now. Mm-hmm. And if I, for the first time, I stayed in their house uh, for two weeks. Um, and that was the first time she was seeing me for two weeks. And I work at night. I sleep during the day. So whenever she woke up, by the way, her name is Utibe. So Utibe, I'm giving you a shout out here. So whenever she woke up, <laughs> She would come to my, you know, come to my room. Um, yeah, yeah. This like seven in the morning. She's like, Uncle, wake up, wake up. Why are you still sleeping? Wake up, wake up. And then she'll say, I hope you'll be awake when I come back from school. And she'd come back from school. She'll barrage into, you know, into my room. And Uncle, wake mm. up, wake up. If you don't wake up, she'll jump on the bed and stamp and jump till the bed starts heaving and you. You know, because she wants to play with you. Um, so I have, you know, whenever I have time, I always... Uh, Try to spend with her. Yeah, spend time with, you know, other children. Uh, get to ask them, how is school? You know, what are you doing today? Um, mm-hmm. so That's I, important, you know. I That's I, important for children. That's important. It's important for children to have, you know, supportive family and people that yes. love them with no strings attached. Now, one of yes. the things you do talk about in the book is the Biafran War, which is very, very, some very, very violent and uncomfortable scenes to read. Um, and, and different yeah. characters have different traumas. Your character, mm-hmm. and it, correct me if I'm wrong, he was a drinker. Is his yes. drinking part of his trauma? Is that how he's dealing with his trauma? Um, because he tried to stop, but then he started again. And why? Because he was having some difficulty here in America. Do you see, what habits do you see people having to deal with their trauma besides drinking? People smoking, people having too much sex. What do you see in your community on how people deal with trauma? from that war. Yeah, first of all, I like how you how you have you know brought this up because I did not close that circuit. I did not you know say he's drinking because of his war trauma, but it's exactly the kind of thing I could have said and it will make sense also. Um, mm-hmm. You know, having said that, the fact remains that uh, he's an alcoholic, he's got drinking problems, and uh, he comes to America, and the trauma he's facing here 
uh, the stress is placing here and sent him back, you know, to, mm-hmm. you know, to drinking. Uh, what I have noticed is, uh, you know, when people are trying to cope, they develop, you know, bad habits. You know, people drink, people get into drugs. Now, when what they're dealing with is done, they're stuck with the bad habits. Um, so that's generally yeah. how I see people dealing with, uh, uh, you know, trauma, you know, with stress, you know, difficult situation. The Biafran war was very painful uh, to the minorities, to the egos, to even the... Uh, the families of the soldiers who came, of the Nigerian soldiers, uh, some of them lost their bread uh, winners, they lost their fathers, they lost their husbands. So like any, mm-hmm. any war, it was very painful. Um, what was not done well in Nigeria, which is what my book is doing, is to look at this war from the perspective of the minorities of the Niger Delta. Uh, for example, the Anans, my people, and to see what Biafra did to them. Because up till now, the big stories of Biafra have been written by the Igbos, uh, yeah, yeah. people who mm-hmm. wanted Biafra and continue to want Biafra today. Um, and I'm just saying, look, have you asked the minorities whether they want to Biafra? No, they have not. In some mm. cases, they're very uh, disrespectful. It's, also, oh, wow. it's like we don't, we will just do it. If you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, you like it. You don't like it, which mm. is very mm. ironic because this is how Nigeria is treating them. It doesn't mean that every Igbo person wants Biafra. Um, just as, you know, it doesn't or did not mean that every white person wanted, a, you know, Africa colonized. Okay? Yeah, yeah. When your leaders mm-hmm. make decisions, they make these decisions on your behalf. Uh, if privilege is coming, you, you enjoy this. If there are consequences, you know, most times people always, you know, also enjoy this. But what I've all, also done in the book, is to offer my reader a sort of a comparative, you know, mm-hmm. uh, history of violence in America and violence in Nigeria. So when and Argentina, uh, when we the, you also talk about yes, Argentina. Yes, you talk about you yes. know the Rome situation, <laughs> and I love it. There's a lot of different to show that all over the world and many different people are dealing with trauma, maybe from war, maybe from you know. Um, adjacent situations, if you will. Even here you talk about yes. uh, one of the characters talks about the lynching stories that her family didn't believe. And, um, and then she went back and had to apologize once she became enlightened in college. So that was yes. another person dealing with trauma. So everybody has a story. You don't know where they're coming from. Be kind to everyone, I think. That's how I kind of feel like what I read yes. in the story, you know? Yes. Why don't you read can. some, can you read some from the book? Because uh, we talk about that. Can you read a little bit from the book? Yes. Can I, can I read um, from the embassy? 
Yeah, yeah, that's great. Really... That's great scene. So this is the chapter two. Um, Ekong is going to attempt to get his visa uh, a second time. Um, it was rejected the first time. It had been raining all week, and the most recent national power cut and internet dysfunction were three days old when I hit Lagos for my repeat visa interview. I was as prepared as I could be. Andrew and Thompson had written to the embassy. Molly, my supervisor in America, said they had attestations by experts from Yale and Columbia universities that the Anangs existed. I did not mind this humiliation as long as I got the visa. When I arrived at the embassy that drizzly, windy July morning, I took off my shoes and socks and rolled up my trousers to my calves, for the street was flooded. Others had done the same. I put up my umbrella. I held my footwear and my folder almost above my head and stepped out into the rain. Despite the weather, the market near Carrington Crescent was booming. Even the street photographers had set up huge lit transparent balloons, balloons on podiums above the floor to do business. They looked quite upbeat, as though they had figured out how to generate electricity directly from the deluge. I had, I was glad the embassy let us in to the first part of the building. I found space to put back on my socks and shoes. Though some warmth had returned to my feet, the place smelled of wet shoes and clothes and damp perfume. Mercifully, someone had turned down the air conditioner. In this, I recognized a few people from the last time. But the most striking was the old Bequara man. His neck revealed he had layered on two sweaters to beat the cold, but it was still easy to see at lost weight. Sniffling and sneezing and without his gold tooth, he looked quite different. His smile was gone too. Now, when he was not running his tongue over his new tooth, he was touching his mouth gingerly in a way that suggested he was still recovering from the dentist's visit. When he coughed, it sounded like a truck's busted exhaust pipe, causing everybody Mm -hmm. around him to grumble and jostle. As soon as he saw me, he instinctively moved away. I think that, you know, that will do. Yeah, that's great. You know, that, the scene before, oh my God, it's hilarious with the lady and her uh, her 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 clothes situation. I'm not going to say what it is. It's a hilarious scene, um, uh, you know. But and and there's so many and okay and and all I'm going to say is if you don't like bed bugs, if you don't like bed bugs, which nobody does, but if you really don't like bed bugs, just maybe read a chapter a day because you don't want to overwhelm yourself 
because there's a whole theme <laughs> of bed bugs going on in this story here. Uh, that, that is amazing yeah. that it messes everything up. That they, they just come yeah. and mess everything up, you know? <laughs> uh, Uwem, thank you so much for writing this book. I think it will educate people about uh, the minorities and their story. I love how you describe your village the the lake and the colors, the fog. It, it's just very wonderful. I want to come visit. I want to have some of the mangoes and be drunk like the insects that you were talking about. Oh, man. So, oh, man. Yes. That's yes, my very, fictional. very wonderful. Yeah. That's my fictional village. When you come to my real village, it has no river. It has no, the church is not like that at all. It has no valley, but you'll still be able to eat the mangoes and enjoy the people. <laughs> okay, okay. That's okay. That's fine. That's fine. I, the, I love mangoes. As a matter of fact, I have dried mangoes right now on the top of my refrigerator. I love mangoes. So, oh, man, yeah. I love mangoes too. Are you in Philadelphia? Oh. Yes, I am in Philadelphia. Let me ask you, and this will be my last question. What is your favorite Anang dish, food, that you love to eat? And what is that? Pardon? What is that made of? Ekpankukwa is made of kukuyam and and leaves and uh, mm-hmm. fish or meat um, and spices. Afarefang uh, is also leaves, uh, is uh, vegetables, but it's, it's just wonderful, wonderful. I, I mm. eat a lot of my local food. I've learned how to, you know, cook them. This morning, you know, at around 4 a.m., I met Pamakara. So I can eat later on today. Akara is uh, made out of uh, uh, beans. Um, okay. So I I love I love to eat a lot here in the U.S. and uh, back in Nigeria. Um, if I go to Europe, I do a lot of you know a lot of eating you know eating. Um, <laughs> There's well, you know, I'm going to have to come to Florida. I'm going to yes. have to come to Florida yes. to taste some of the Anang, or you're going to have to FedEx me a frozen package so that I can try. I love trying all different kinds uh, of foods from, from all come, over. To, yeah, if you come, we get to eat together. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, uh, I know yes. that there is, uh, <laughs> yes, there is Philly, Philly steak burger. Is there such a food? Uh-huh. Yeah, Philly Philly cheesesteak. Yeah, you like yes. those? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, you know they send those. You know they can send them to you in the mail, you know. They have certain places I think they ship them, but it's not like having a fresh one. You got to have a fresh yeah. steak sandwich. It's the best. Yes. Okay, I well, when you come when you come to Philadelphia, then maybe, you know, I'll have to take you. Because they have chicken cheesesteak, and they have rather, re- regular, like, beef steak. So um, oh, I, that you can try try either one of those. 
I will call you when I come to Philadelphia. <laughs> okay, you you call me. Thank you so much, Uwim. We've run out of time now, but I had a wonderful conversation with you, and I wish you Thank so much success with this book. And Thank you. Uh, what's the next book? What's the next book? You have something writing now? No, I'm still trying to get it together. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know what it will be yet. Maybe it will be set in uh, Philadelphia. <laughs> yes, and cheesesteaks. But no bad bugs. Please, no bad bugs. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much, Uwem. You have a wonderful weekend, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. Thank uh, you. You're welcome. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Thank you, everybody. Um, I just got off the phone with Uwem Afan. We were talking about his new book, New York, My Village. I'm going to be giving away some copies of his book, so I encourage you to follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram. Again, I'm going to be giving away some copies, so keep your eyes peeled. You guys know you got to ask a question, answer a question, be the first one to get the answer. And, and you could win a copy of this book. Trust me, you will love this book. There's so many characters and stories and uh, situations. Uh, there's comedy. You're just going to be laughing, holding your belly. And there's also serious stuff. So you're going to learn, you know, some history that you may not have been aware of about different parts of the world, not just Africa. So I really encourage you to read and um learn and enjoy and share with your friends and family. Um, Earlier, I played my Instagram chat I had with actress Regina Taylor. You can also listen to the audio of that now on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. And if you've missed the beginning of this interview, it will be archived. You can also listen to it on all those platforms, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll see you next weekend. And please, don't eat too many leftovers. You might be drunk from sweet potato pie or turkey, or the tryptophan in the turkey or something. <laughs> Just be careful. Okay, talk to you soon. Wonder if you should get tested for colorectal cancer? Well, it's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., so if you're 50 or older, it's time. Screening helps find precancerous polyps so they can be removed. Remove the polyp, prevent the cancer. Did you know there's more than one screening test? Talk to your doctor to find the one that's right for you. No more excuses, because colorectal cancer screening really does save lives. A message from HHS and CDC's Screen for Life campaign. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.